Welcome to Season 5 of the Excel Still More Podcast. I'm still your host, Chris Emerson, and I'm here to encourage you in your walk with the Lord, and I'm glad you've joined. The program continues to be sponsored by Cunningham Financial Group. John is a good friend, and he's helped me and my family in everything from stock and mutual fund investing to annuities, life insurance, and retirement planning. I certainly commend him to you if you have needs in any of those areas. You can reach him at 205 205- 3267364. Thank you again for your ongoing encouragement and support. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back. As always, I'm really thankful that you've joined. I hope I can encourage you today directly from the scripture. We are going to read Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 9 and walk through that together. If you happen to be having a wonderful day, I think I can stretch the corners of that smile a little bit further, and maybe if things have not gone so well for you today or this week, this can be the beginning of that tide turning as you think about what it means to be a Christian who can connect to, draw strength from, and be blessed by God. Now, if you notice the title on the way in, there's something else on my mind as well. How do Christians resolve conflict How do we work through disagreements and we turn into encouragers instead of distractions? Whether it's work or family or church, like everything would be great if it wasn't for people. I think we would all agree with that, and I'm readily admitting that I would need a mirror to identify all of the problems. I'm a people too, just as you are. And yet, in things like neighborhoods and families and churches, God designs things to happen that are optimistic that are unified and that glorify him in the presence of other people, people that we share important things in common with, which I'll be talking to you about today. And yet, at the same time, we don't always see things the same way. We have different biases and ideas and backgrounds. And I just think all too often we celebrate the fact that we're both in Christ, but that becomes a minor point over on the side when you say something I don't like. But shouldn't the fact that we are both saved by Christ always be the centerpiece and everything else have to work its way around that? So we're going to get to that in the back half today, and now I just want you to forget the title and forget that I said it, because this text in Philippians 4 is rarely applied in that way. It's usually looked at more generally about how you yourself can walk in the favor of God, and I am totally cool with you seeing it that way up front, but a little bit of contextual work might show that there's another way to see these verses. So let me begin by simply reading the text. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence or if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is such an encouraging, inspiring, and uplifting text. You can point to any believer in the room right now, and I guarantee you they need this passage. 
But for the next few minutes as I walk through it, I just want you thinking about your relationship with God. Verse 4 says to rejoice in the Lord always. It's a simple instruction. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you're with. It doesn't matter what you're facing. Everywhere that you are, you are a Christian. And everywhere that you are, you should rejoice. And again, I say rejoice in your relationship with God. You probably know the setting of this letter. The Apostle Paul is in jail. He did not know if he would be released. In previous occasions in jail, it's midnight. He's singing and praying, even when death was potentially coming the next day. God was able to use that rejoicing to do his work. We must get past any idea that says that there are certain places and around certain people where I simply cannot rejoice in our faith. Rejoice always. In verse 5, it turns to gentleness. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And that's drawing off of what you're rejoicing in. You're rejoicing in the mercy and grace of God. You're rejoicing in how patient he is with you, how gentle he is with you, though you do not deserve it. Now you go out into every place and with every person and you exemplify that gentle spirit that you have received from God. And he even tells you why. He says, because the Lord is near. I don't think that means that the Lord is coming any moment because this was written 2,000 years ago. I think what he was saying is Jesus is always in the room. The Jesus who is gentle and kind to you, who you've given five reasons since you got out of bed to be upset with you, but who still walks with you and helps you, that Jesus is always with you. So be gentle to others, if for no other reason than to honor his spirit with you. This, of course, doesn't mean that everything will be easy. There will be times of stress and worry. We might get anxious about relationships, as we'll talk about later, or any number of things. And so the next verse says, look, be anxious for nothing. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The idea that Jesus is with you and you rejoice in that relationship is good, but it's not enough. You need to talk to God through him or talk with him. You need to share the things that are burdening you. I was thinking about prayer yesterday. Does God really need us to pray? He already knows everything before we even say it. He knows you need to hear yourself pray. You need to hear yourself go to God and say, I'm giving this to you. And by the way, I'm not approaching you as some destitute person, overburdened, whom you've been unfair to, begging you to fix things. I'm coming to you in thankfulness. You've already been amazing to me in ways that I can describe and in countless ways that I cannot So I'm coming to say, help me bear this burden. I'm coming to say, give me peace and heart. But I'm coming from a position of already being thankful for everything you've done and knowing that I don't deserve anything else, but I know you have the power and I know that you love me, so I'm coming to you. Now, the text doesn't say that God will give you everything you ask, but he does say that the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know exactly what that means. After all, it goes beyond my comprehension, but I know that it is a verse of faith. It's a verse that says, I trust that this belongs to God now. I can live in peace knowing that I have given it to him. I may still have to go out and weather a storm. I may still have to go out and behave in a way that is difficult, but I'm not doing it alone. And I have the peace of knowing that Jesus is with me and he has blessed me and I am grateful. Now, just those practices of seeing him near and praying are very helpful, But in verse 8, he says, you know what else? Things that are true and honorable, right and pure, lovely and of good reputation. If there's anything excellent and worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 
You realize that we use some of our mental energy every day praying to him, and that's a great usage of time, but much more of the day is just spent thinking in general about life and people and everything. It's not going to do us a lot of good to pray well and then go out and think poorly. And I used to look at verse 8 very simplistically. There's this long list of things I've read to you twice, and basically saying just dwell on spiritual things, dwell on good things and not on bad things. And that's certainly true in the text. But I was reading something cool the other day that said what he's really asking you to do is run your thoughts through a filter. If you insist on carrying these thoughts around, whatever they might be, and in a little while we'll talk about things we think about others, but whatever it is, why don't you run it through a filter? Question one, that thing you're thinking about, is it even true? And if it happens to actually be true, is it honorable to you, to God? Is it right? This thing that that is constantly on your mind, is it pure and lovely? And my marginal note in lovely says lovable and gracious. It's actually like this really cool filter to help you eliminate things that don't belong so that all that is left will be good. And then lastly, in verse 9, he gets super practical. He says, look, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul writes, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's not just about joy, and it's not just about prayer, and it's not just about thinking. It's also going out and living a life like Paul lived. I preached on this the other day, and I talked a lot more about it, but when you read through the letter, Paul was very mission-oriented. He wanted to share Jesus. He wanted people to know the grace of God. He dedicated his life to doing that very thing. And while that may not exactly be your life and mine, I will tell you this. If you're looking for more joy in your life, more peace, more purpose, less worry, then maybe think about getting on mission. The purpose for living is to know God and make him known. When you're doing those things, you live in peace because you are a vessel in the hand of God being used appropriately. Okay, that's a pretty quick run through those verses of general admonition that apply to your life directly but I told you there might be a little bit more going on in the context, so let me read the two verses before our section. Philippians 4.2, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, verse 3, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So I find this really interesting. Paul doesn't often mention particular people's names, and here he mentions two sisters in Christ who are both believers and both valuable, who, for whatever reason, are not presently living in harmony. Paul talks tirelessly in his letters about harmony and unity and common spirit and purpose, so it seems like something that he wants repaired. In fact, in verse 3, whoever this true companion is, he says, look, I think we're going to need your help on this. Do you think you could help these women? work through these differences. And I certainly wish we got more information on this because you and I know that fellow believers sometimes do get at odds. We're both trying to do the right things. We end up pulling in different directions. And unfortunately, we've seen the kind of partyism and division that can come of that. But I got to thinking, what if verses four through nine are not just general admonition for each individual person, but they're actually part of the recommendation for reuniting even when there's been conflict? Number one, let's both rejoice in the Lord and let's do it together. I find that most believers, most family members agree on like 90% of things and yet they let the rest of it cause problems. Let's agree that we love God and God loves us. We're both Christians and we rejoice in our hope. 
And God has been gentle to both of us. So one thing's for sure, we're going to show gentleness to one another. We'll do it because of his grace, but we'll also do it because he's right here in the room with us. When we're talking to each other, he's right here with us. When we're talking to someone else about each other, or texting or posting or any other thing, he is also right there with us. We're going to let our faith in Jesus hold us accountable in the way we treat each other. This doesn't mean it's going to fix everything in an instant or it's all going to be easy or we're going to agree on everything. It still may be a difficult road, but it's the anxiety and the fear. I sense a lot of fear among fellow believers about what one guy thinks about something and how it's going to affect everybody else. We let fear and anxiety and all of that, which sometimes just amounts to a lack of trust in God, we let that make things worse than they had to be. So let's be anxious for nothing. Let's pray in thanksgiving for God's presence and his power and his help. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for our enemy. Let's pray for the person that we're struggling to get along with. Let's pray for unity. Bring God into it. And if you really want to go next level, pray about someone you're at odds with and offer some thanksgiving for some elements of that relationship that you're thankful for. One of the great things about taking all of this to God is you move more in the direction of faith than works. This idea that I have to fix it all, that it's on me to make it right or blow the thing up or, or whatever I think I need to do oftentimes runs out ahead of God. But if I believe that God will bring peace to us, that God will help us know what we need to do, and that God will settle our spirit so that we can do this right, if I'm trusting in his power... I'll tell you this, things that seemed impossible before, especially when you're at odds with someone, things that quite honestly were impossible before become possible with God. This brings us to verse 8 where it talks about dwelling on true things and honorable things and right things. And the admonition there is to think about holy, righteous things of God, things that are from above. But this can also be useful in the way we think about others. Sometimes you're so mad at someone about something you think they said or did or what you think might come of it, and maybe you haven't stopped to ask yourself one fundamental question. Is this even true? What I think I know, is that true? What my contentions are, are they biblically true? Is my position honorable? Am I actually right here? Is my approach the purest way to do this? Is it lovely, remember that, lovable and gracious? Is it fostering a good reputation? You and I both know some people will toss all of that out to win an argument, but maybe just a little bit of reflection on my part in this conflict and maybe how I need to think differently could help. You may even figure out that you're the villain, which is great because then you just go and apologize. So I wanted to save some time for verse nine and I think it's working out great. He said, look, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. In this context, he's trying to help these two ladies work it out. I mean, they both love the Lord. Why can't they love each other? And he's got someone else enlisted to help. And he says, look, look at my life, the way that I've thought and behaved, and maybe it can help. So I started thinking through different instances in Paul's life where he dealt with conflict related to other believers. And these specific and practical examples have actually been a really big deal for me. So let me show you four of them as we close. One is found earlier in the chapter when he's told that there are people preaching Christ, verse 15 in chapter 1, but they're doing it from envy and strife, and they actually have selfish ambitions 
and impure motives, and they want to cause him distress even while he's in prison. This is the craziest thing. He's saying there are preachers out there preaching the truth, but they're doing it for themselves, and there's actually some element in what they're doing that they want me to hurt. They're like poking me with a stick. You know, we're free. You're in prison. People are listening to us, and look what happened to you. And Paul said, you know what my attitude is on that? As long as the name of Jesus is being preached in that, I will rejoice. How awesome is that? If it's a fellow believer, someone in the church, someone who worships over here, preaches over there, we get so caught up in what it means for me and what I'm afraid of. Look, maybe we'll work that out, maybe we won't, but if you're preaching Jesus, I'm thankful God is using you. Just that small change of thankfulness for the way God is utilizing this other person can change everything. I also thought about the story of Philemon, where this slave Onesimus flees Philemon. He's like a fugitive, and he runs off, and he meets Paul, and he's baptized, and Paul said, I'm going to send you back to Philemon, but I'll write a letter to him first. So in that case, Paul is that true companion trying to help two believers bring things back together after a tumultuous event. And I really love how Paul says, look, accept him as you would accept me. If he has wronged you in any way, if he owes you anything, just charge it to my account. What an awesome attitude to say, look, it's important that you guys figure this out. We've got work to do, so I'll take whatever wrong, just put the anger on me. And of course, Philemon wasn't going to do that. I'm tossing that one in because you may not be the person who's in conflict with another believer, but you may be the true companion who's assigned by God providentially to help those people. Maybe you have them read verses four through nine. Maybe you work through what binds them together. But maybe you also look at them and say, look, I love you both so much. Put all of your anger and all of the debt on me. I'll take on anything just to see us honoring Christ in this family, in this church, or whatever the setting is. That's just a beautifully Christ-like way to approach it. Okay, two more instances of following Paul's example in conflict resolution. One of them is in Galatians 2. Do you remember where Peter was eating with the Gentiles and the Jews showed up and Peter backed away from the table and Paul was very upset? He confronted Peter directly, maybe even publicly, and said, you can't do that. And that's really important because it shows that sometimes confrontation is needed. We may have to come together and have a very difficult situation. It's not just about ignoring everything. And maybe people have used this verse to have a fight or call someone out. But let me just tell you this. Paul was concerned about the mission, about spreading the gospel, and about unity. The deal with Peter's decision is that it endangered the unity of the church. It could potentially segregate the people Christ had brought together, the Jews and the Gentiles. That is what fired Paul up, and that is why he dealt with it immediately. If you feel like you need to confront a brother or an elder or a preacher or whatever, you just make sure your goal is unity instead of it causing division. This kind of reminds me of Jesus when he flipped the tables. You say, hey, sometimes you got to flip the tables and pop the whip. Jesus never did that to defend himself. It was never about him or his pride or his stance. He always did that in defense of God. So just make sure your confrontations are in the name of protecting the innocent, honoring God, and preventing division that has hurt so many before. And then lastly was after Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas, and they got ready to start the second one, and Barnabas said, I want to take my cousin John Mark, and Paul said, nope, he's not going with us. He deserted us during the first missionary journey, and we don't exactly know why that was, 
but Paul felt like in that moment he couldn't trust him. And look, you know what that means to me? It means that some conflicts we have, some disagreements, may mean we need to take some time apart. Maybe there was a little trust that got broken and it needs some time to heal. I just today had to send a message to someone and say, look, the trust is broken. We just need some time apart. Let's talk about it another time. But again, this wasn't about Paul. It was about the mission. He wanted to make sure he could be as successful as possible in the work of the Lord. Barnabas and John Mark went off to do the work in a different direction. God's work did not get inhibited. Also, this was not some permanent break. We find later that their relationship was restored and Paul wanted John Mark to come and assist him. It just took some time. But it was not a rejection of fellowship and it was not distracting from the mission. I may need to do a podcast on mission later. If we were on mission, if our job individually and collectively, the reason we're still on this earth is to know God and make him known and to share the gospel following the example of Paul. I think it would have the power to affect everything, the way we interact with everyone, and specifically the way we work with our brothers and sisters in Christ, even through occasional rough patches. So hey, Philippians 4, an amazing text, but maybe there's a little more to it than meets the eye. Read it to be encouraged, to know the Lord's nearness, to refine your thoughts and actions, but also give it a look if you're interested in resolving Christian conflict. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you enjoyed this program, will you share it with someone you care about? One thing I've learned over these five seasons is that there's nothing as powerful in advertising as word of mouth sharing between friends. Speaking of friends, let me once again commend you to give John Cunningham a call. He and his team have a wide variety of tools to help you use your present budget and life to build towards a more secure and hopeful financial future. Once again, you can reach him at 205-326-7364. And always remember, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excel still more.